Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated podcast, presented by BearsIllustrated.com, your home for Baylor athletics and Baylor recruiting on 24-7 sports. I'm Pranay Malampati, and I'm joined by our new co-host, Andrew Miner, who graduated from Baylor in 2015. He used to write for Bears Illustrated. He wrote a bit for Our Daily Bears, the, the SB Nation Baylor page. And I'm really excited to start doing this podcast with you, Andrew, and uh, I know that you're you're someone who's going to have a lot of insight. So welcome welcome into the Bears Illustrated podcast. Pranay, thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to to talk uh, um, Baylor sports for sure. And to jump right into our first segment, we're gonna we're gonna jump into the NIL stuff. We I, we haven't released a podcast since the Nick Saban Jimbo Fisher stuff came out. Um, obviously there's a lot of NIL stuff always happening. Billy Napier came out recently, very recently and said that Florida is not going to get involved with the, the NIL drama, although they will obviously be taking part in giving out NIL deals. Um, so Andrew, what are your thoughts on NIL in general and what, what has transgressed in, in college football in regards to NIL? I love NIL, uh, Pranay. Uh, name, image, likeness. I think it's great for all the student athletes. Um, it's very interesting how this, you know, industry, quote mark, quotation marks around that, uh, has evolved since July of 2021 uh, when it was first made legal by the NCAA. But I'm all for it. I love it. And it's very interesting how outside collectives have formed and been created uh, to allow kind of boosters and creative uh, alumni to take advantage of bending the rules um, in, in this new era of paying athletes in college sports. What Interesting. Interesting. So, so I like NIL when it comes to actual NIL deals and giving players the ability to have sponsorships, allowing companies to reach out and, and pay these players for bringing money for those brands. Um, but I actually don't like where it com- when it comes to boosters being able to just hand out millions of dollars to these athletes before they even step foot on campus, um, recruiting players based on how much money they'll be able to bring in through NIL deals, because I feel like it turns college football more into a professional sport. And it kind of just like, like Texas A&M had so much money. So they got all, all the top recruits and it kind of turns college football into something where Already a few teams are able to compete for a national championship or to make the playoffs, but it, it cuts that group of teams who are able to compete even more. And I think that the, the beauty of college football is that these players are playing for the schools and they 
they care about the schools. They came to these schools because, because of the recruiting and because they want to play for the school. But when, when we turn into something where boosters are handing out all this money and the players are coming for money and they can transfer immediately when a school reaches out to them and, and kind of tampers and just says, we're going to give you $3 million. Like USC might've done with Jordan Addison at Pitt. It, it right. kind of takes the, I don't know, the, the juice out of college football. I, I would agree with that to an extent. I, I definitely think that their the inducement or pay for play is, I, I'm not even sure if unfortunate is the right word, but um, it's definitely something that was not intended um, for the most part from, from when fans look at it. You know, uh, I think when fans look at it, they think, yep, sponsorships, be able to do a local car dealership ad, um, you know, a fast food ad, what, whatever it is, use your name, image, likeness to capitalize on your success, much like when that Kansas walk-on got the uh, two point con- winning two-point conversion in overtime last mm-hmm. year against Texas. And then he immediately got a NIL deal that the next day to kind of capitalize on that. And now it's, I think, what many people would look at as a pure sponsorship. But a lot of what's going on in college sports, of course, is um, boosters pooling together millions of dollars, as you alluded to, and kind of using that as another recruiting tool to pay athletes to hop in the transfer portal, um, to <clears throat> tamper with high school recruits, to get you know the, the number one class, to get those kids to their schools. Um, the way I've kind of morphed my view on this is that the argument has always been in the past that kids should not be paid in college athletics, right? Uh, because they're earning a scholarship, because they're, you know, being able to uh, play the game that they love, right, for, for, the, for the schools. And NIL, of course, has done away with that, saying now you can make, make money, monetize your NIL. And now the new argument is kids should not be able to basically sign, uh, get signing bonuses for choosing which schools they want to go to, uh, whereas uh, any professional uh, person could, would be able to sign with a better company, uh, you know, if, if their talents warranted it. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I think the debate has shifted right from, you know, being getting paid at all to basically saying you can get paid, but you can't go to a school to get paid specifically. Yeah, exactly. And I, I agree with that sentiment that, that I think players should get, paid if outside organizations or companies come in and give them deals because of how they perform on the football field but like you said that it seems like it's a signing bonus now to go to some of these schools you get so much money to go when you haven't even played a snap of college football and that's what I I don't really like because I think it turns college football into something that it has never been and it kind of isn't I what I would like like I care about these players of course and I I want these schools and the NCAA to put more of a focus on educating the players and setting them up for success after college while they're also obviously playing college football Um, because obviously that hasn't been as much of a a focus point as it I think as I think it should be and very few of these players are actually going to the professional level and I think that would be a better solution than giving some of the top recruits like signing bonuses and stuff um but obviously there was a big 
a big, I don't know, something crazy that happened in the college football world was Nick Saban coming out and saying that Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M bought all of his recruits and then Jimbo Fisher fired back. Eventually Nick Saban came out and said, I shouldn't have said that, but Jimbo Fisher kept firing back. Um, what are your takes on that, that back and forth between Saban and Fisher? Yeah, it's just real, real interesting. Love the off the field drama of, of college athletics, right? Because uh, it, it certainly has, has, has delivered um, in producing a lot of drama, a lot of off season headlines. Uh, Jimbo Fisher basically said, you know, compared Nick Saban to God multiple times <laughs> um, and, and asked the media to stop treating him like God to look into his past Um you know, to basically just because he can quote walk on water, that doesn't mean everything he does is is great. Um, and there have been a lot of internet sleuths um, snooping around, just looking at different videos of Jimbo uh, waiting after a national championship to congratulate Nick Saban. Of course, they worked on the same staff at uh, LSU. Um, but I, I love it. It's so um, so great, and I think that's uh, where NIL can can help some other bigger schools um, like a Texas A&M catch up to uh, an Alabama, Georgia that are in the playoffs uh, every single year. So I think NIL is actually, I would say it's helpful to some of these other, um, you know, larger institutions that they could use that as another tool to, you know, put in their toolbox and, um, and, and really compete level the playing field. I think you're right over time. I think you're going to see, you know, as NIL continues to evolve, I think, you know, that 1% each day will, will, you know, make a more of a disparity between um, the haves and the haves not have nots of college football, uh, which is a little unfortunate, but I think we're already there and we've always been there. So I think, um, I think we're still going to see a a decent amount of parity, you know, in, in college football, you know, across the board, you just have to know where to, where to look for it. Uh, but I, I love the the firing back between Saban and, and Fisher. Uh, it, it doesn't get quite that much better than than that, especially with A and M beating Alabama, um, and Alabama still making making the playoff national championship game um, anyway. And A and M was only eight and four, uh, but they did beat Alabama. Just the whole you know past year of of rivalry between those two has been great. I don't, you know, <laughs> what what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought I would thought it was surprising that Nick Saban came out and went after Jimbo Fisher, especially because he's he's the one that has had all the success. And I guess it, I guess he sees it as a threat that, Absolutely. to your point, to, to your point, this NIL I guess is helping at school like Texas A&M, maybe a couple of other schools that are in that category of have a lot of money but haven't had the the top tier success that a school like Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia has. And he sees it as a threat to the continued success of Alabama. But I don't know. I thought it was a – I thought I agree with what he said when, the second time when he said he shouldn't have said it. I, I don't think he should have come out and said that because it's just part of college football at this point. It's what these schools have been doing. Yeah, I think I think he's definitely there's – a, there's a bit of anxiousness, a bit of nervousness there that, you know, his empire may be falling – type thing uh, that, yeah. that remains to be seen of course they've, they've had quite a good run <laughs> definitely um i'm not i'm never going to be the one to go against to 
count out Nick Saban. I feel like Alabama will be a great team as long as Saban's there. But I, I kind of want to turn to Baylor and where Baylor stands in this whole NIL thing because obviously Baylor has been on the rise and Dave Aranda took Baylor to its best season ever this past season. And then this whole NIL transfer portal debacle has happened kind of. Um, I actually think that Baylor will be fine just because Dave Aranda has created a, a particular culture at Baylor that will draw in specific players who would probably prefer that kind of culture and the kind of development that Dave Aranda and his coaching staff provide, the kind of culture based in faith and family and valuing the players over, over just winning. Um, so I think Baylor will be fine, but what is your take on how NIL will affect Baylor down the line? Yeah, I think they certainly need to embrace it uh, more. And I know Baylor's done a great job of, um, as you mentioned, providing education and uh, some, you know, some preliminary programs in place to help educate student athletes on um, different things uh, NIL related to help prep them for, you know, their careers after college. But um, like you said, I, I think Baylor's going to be fine. Um, Dave Aranda's been been excellent uh, in adjusting and adapting and building a program of a specific culture um, that, that he wants. And that's always going to be the case uh, with Baylor. That's always been um, the case of how they had to find a way to compete with, you know, the Oklahomas, the Texases, uh, the Texas A&M's in, in years past, just because they're a smaller private institution. Um, they, they kind of have to carve out their, their niche, so to speak. Um, but I do think that Baylor has to, I, I would say, take advantage of NIL and, and use that as an additional tool. I think Baylor could definitely use um, name, image, and likeness to further, um, I guess, break into the top tier of college college football, um, right? Because the, the cool thing about NIL is, yeah, you know, it's un, it's unclear if the NCAA will ever act on, you know, pay for play allegations because it's so, to me and to the people I've spoken to, it's so difficult to prove uh, inducement to get to say, yes, a kid went for a specific deal um, prior to their enrollment. But, <clears throat> you know, Baylor could use that to say, hey, these are the NIL deals that some of our athletes have done in the past, um, you know, but there's money to be made here as well. Um, and it's, it, I think it's always interesting because they have Magnolia in their backyard. They have a lot of big name uh, heavy hitter donors that own a lot of different companies um, that have been obviously quite successful. Um, and if I was Baylor, I would be really promoting the NIL deals that our student athletes are engaged on and, and doing uh, while at Baylor. And I would use that as a recruiting tool to say, here's, here's what past athletes have So the opportunity, uh, you know, you do have NIL opportunities uh, as well. That's really interesting. That's a, that's a good point that Baylor could use Magnolia and I, of course it's boosters to bring bring Baylor to that top tier of NIL. NIL in college football it's it just seems difficult 
because Baylor's alumni base is so much smaller than some of these other schools, but we'll just have to see. It's going to be really interesting. And of course, there's going to be a lot of NIL stuff to talk about on, up, leading up to and, and throughout this college football season. But, oh, yeah. um, but for now, now we're going to move on to another Baylor topic. We're going to talk about Baylor basketball in the next segment about Adam Flagler returning to Baylor deciding not to go to the NBA and then Matthew Meyer also returning to college basketball, but transferring to Illinois. So that's what we'll be talking about on the next segment of the bears illustrated podcast. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive. That's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. On the first segment, we talked a little bit about NIL and, and how that affects college football as well as Baylor specifically. And now we're going to jump into Baylor basketball with Adam Flagler returning to Baylor and with, with Matthew Meyer transferring to Illinois. It was, it was kind of surprising to me that Matthew Meyer went to Illinois. I was actually pretty confident he was going to go to UNC because – I thought he was going to fill in that spot where Brady Manick was last season and, and kind of put UNC back in that national championship conversation. But Illinois is obviously another great basketball school. I'm very happy he didn't go to Texas Tech because I want to root for him. And now I, I, now I can. But, Andrew, what, what are your thoughts on Meyer going to Illinois? Yeah, uh, nothing but love for Matthew Meyer, one of our – I think one of the fan base's favorite players over the past four years. Um, I think, I think we all wish we could have seen him back in a Baylor, Baylor Jersey. I thought he was going to go um, uh, pro for sure and keep his name in the draft, but obviously uh, the feedback he got again was not what he wanted. So he came back and then, and then transferred, uh, hopefully he tears it up in the big 10 over there with, with Illinois. Um, you know, he's, been more than more than capable he's proved that he can do that at Baylor one of um, 
you know, his best game in the tournament during our championship run was, was that against Wisconsin. Um, uh, you know, I thought, thought he definitely could have gone to, to UNC that, that was kind of the, the rumor mill of where he was going. And that definitely would have been an added piece of, of ammunition. I'd be curious. Uh, I wish it could have been a fly on the wall in those conversations that he had with UNC coaches or other players uh, considering how heated the UNC Baylor game got in the second round this past, uh, this past year. Yeah, it would certainly have been interesting to listen into those conversations. And I, I kind of was pretty sure, I was pretty sure he was going to come back to college. I didn't think that he was ready to go to the NBA. I think he was a fringe second round pick at best. That's fair. Uh, he didn't like, he just didn't really, perform as well as I thought he would or as many people thought he would last season um, but he has an op- another opportunity to to show NBA scouts what he's got and now he'll be at Illinois getting the opportunity to play a lot of other good basketball schools um, but he also probably the reason he probably didn't come back to Baylor was because he didn't have the opportunity to to be a starter or at least be a a long minute player on the team because obviously Baylor brought in Jalen Bridges. They brought in Caleb Lohner from BYU. Um, Langston Love will be playing after he tours ACL last season. And there's a, there's a lot of guys now, especially with Flagler coming back, who I think is more valuable than Meyer. And I'm really excited about Adam Flagler coming back. He was, he was good for Baylor this season. He's, he was a, a key bench player in the national championship run. And I don't I think he'll be huge in turning Baylor into a national title contender this year. Agreed. I want to touch on that just real quick. Matthew Meyer started uh, basically every game um, last year. I think he missed one with COVID. Um, and I know we were changing the lineup a lot, but he was in the starting lineup majority of last year. He averaged just under 10 points a game. So 9.8 points, five rebounds and assist. And he shot 40% from the field. Um, so he's definitely going to, you know, be a, be a great player. And yeah, it just seems like we didn't, didn't have a uh, room for him to re- to return, uh, which is just wild uh, to think about when, um, you know, when you just think about how loaded Baylor basketball has been, how successful they've been the past, past uh, three seasons. Now, Adam Flagler coming back, it got me so, so hyped. Uh, Prene. just yeah. let, let's be abundantly clear. Baylor does not win the national championship at, and Flagler and some of his uh, late game heroics of, of that tournament run, um, especially against Villanova. Um, you know, that's, that's where of course Baylor was down in the second half. And uh, he, you know, he ended up having 16 points um, in that game and in that comeback effort. And then last year he was just, <clears throat> just beyond ridiculous. Um, <laughs> especially, I mean, there's no way, and Baylor got some help, right? The Bears got some help to win their back-to-back uh, Big 12 title uh, titles last year, but but there's no way Baylor should have been um, in that conversation if they didn't have the performances that Adam Flagler had against uh, Oklahoma State on the road, Texas on the road, um, you know, of, of course against uh, Kansas as well. I mean, he 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 did it all and basically is a walking bucket. Um, just, just so, so good. And, and really he just needed a, a couple extra, um, you know, just one extra shot to fall against UNC and he would, you know, and Baylor would have, 
would have probably gone to the final four. I, I like to think they would have gone to the final four, but uh, at, at least been still, still dancing because, um, because of Adam Flagler. Uh, just, I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but just watching Baylor's run um, in late February, early March last year, just didn't seem just every shot he put up, it was, it was going in. Yeah, I mean, if they won that UNC game and, and got to the Final Four or something like that, it would have been because of Adam Flagler. He he was, like you said, redonkulous in that UNC game in the second half. He was the reason that Baylor came back and, and tied it after being down 25 points. He was just hitting shots. He was hitting threes from everywhere. Um, and he's going to be a huge part of this year and, and a huge reason why I think Baylor is the top 10 team again and why, why Baylor – can compete for another national championship. Yeah. Um, Flagler coming back is just so – he's just a cornerstone, cornerstone of the program, great guy, uh, you know, of course transferred over, and, and he's just done everything right. He's definitely one of my favorite players to, uh, to root for, and we had some awesome dudes uh, to root for, but he he's just – I mean, the word I don't have the words to really – really describe it, uh, but just some of the games that he put on and the performances that he put on were, uh, were special, really, really special over the past, past two years. If you can't tell, we were both very excited to have Adam Flagler back next season. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll just have to see. We're going to maybe see Baylor play in Illinois at some point. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it would be cool to see in the tournament. Um, but it's going to be an exciting season. And that is it for, for Andrew and I for this podcast. On the next segment, you'll see me chat with Jordan White, who's a writer for the SB Nation Sacramento Kings page. And he talked about why Davion Mitchell was the perfect pick for the Sacramento Kings and, and kind of talked about his season and the, the performances that he had last year. So stay tuned for that. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated podcast. And now it's time to talk about Davion Mitchell. I'm joined here by Jordan White, who writes for the Sacramento Kings SB Nation page. Um, thanks for coming on, Jordan. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me. For sure. Jordan, um, recently you wrote 
an article about why Davion Mitchell was the right pick for the Sacramento Kings. So, so tell us, why was Davion Mitchell the right pick for the Kings? Um, well, so the Sacramento Kings obviously are a team that hasn't had a lot of success in the last, you know, 16 plus years. And Davion Mitchell is someone who has always had success in his career, high school, college, and you name it. Um, he brings that mentality with him. And he's a very hard worker. Um, just like De'Aaron Fox said that Davion Mitchell is probably one of the hardest working players in the whole league. He says he has a Kobe Bryant-like work ethic. And it's obvious. Um, the second he was put on the court, he had to face tough opponents. And you could just tell he was prepared. Um, he's not afraid of anyone. And he also brings the Kings defense, which they lack a lot. Um, so he was just a perfect guy for us. For sure. He, he certainly brings that defense with that nickname, Off Night. Yes, sir. Um, what was the initial reaction around Sacramento when the Kings drafted him? And how did that change over the course of the season? So the initial reaction was kind of weird. Um, we knew that he was the best available player, but we didn't know if he was the best player for us. Uh, we already had, obviously, De'Aaron Fox. And at the time, we still had Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, along with Buddy Heald. So we had three, you know, pretty known guards, two of which were, you know, budding stars that could turn into superstars, possibly. And people were just like, why another guard? You know, we lack depth at wing. We don't have a, at the time, we didn't have a solid big man that was, uh, you know, really reliable. We have Rashawn Holmes, but he gets hurt and he's kind of undersized. So he's not uh, exactly what we need. Um, so everyone was just kind of confused and it changed almost instantly. Uh, once the summer league started, um, you know, Sacramento, I'm, I guess they're not hosting it this next year, but they usually host a tournament uh, for the summer league called the California classic. And this last year we played the Lakers the Suns and the Warriors at the California Classic. And Davion was the best player on the floor. Um, I mean, you had guys like Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, Peyton Pritchard, um, Mac McClung, a lot of rookies that people were looking after. And Davion stood out by far. And so he kind of just, everyone just accepted it that we're going to have a lot of good guards. You mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. Halburn's also young, and he's actually younger than Davion Mitchell. Why do you think the Kings ended up choosing to keep Mitchell over Halburn? So from what I understand, um, obviously the Kings were trying to make a move that would get us out of the position that we're in. You know, we're always not quite in the playing tournament level, but we're right there. Like, we just need to make the jump. Like if, if we won five more games or something like that, you know, we could be more in the hunt. Um, and the Pacers had made it known that anyone on their roster was up for grabs. So there were rumors we were going to get Miles Turner, uh, obviously Sabonis. There were many rumors that we were going to maybe try to make a run at Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris mm. as well. Um, in the end, Sabonis was the move they made, uh, getting us an all-star big who is – similar in sorts to Chris Weber and the way that he 
is a very good facilitator. So I think that's kind of what they were looking for. You know, he's the biggest guy that we've picked up since Weber uh, trade-wise. And from what I know, the Pacers pretty much told the Kings that it was Halliburton or nothing. So, I mean, obviously there were other people involved in trade, like Buddy Heald, but between Halliburton and Fox, we had to give up one of them if we were going to get a star. And gotcha. Pacers wanted Halliburton. That's interesting. So the yeah. Pacers thought Halliburton was better than Davion Mitchell, but here we are with the Kings standing on the opposite side of that. Do you think the Kings ended up winning that trade? Um, or, or maybe not winning that trade, but winning out in terms of keeping Mitchell over Halliburton? Uh, I don't know yet. Uh, I'd have to give it time. I have to see more what Mitchell can do. Um, he has a full year under his belt now in the league. Um, like Halliburton, Halliburton was, was, you know, everyone loved him as a rookie, but this year he is significantly better than he was his rookie year. Uh, Davion Mitchell is probably going to become a lot better next season. And if he is given a starting role with Fox, um, I think that he could, it could work out really well for us. I think he can give us what we need because if we were to have Halliburton and Sabonis, both of them are facilitators. So we wouldn't have the, that guy, you know, that we need to go get a bucket necessarily. I mean, Halliburton obviously can score and so can Sabonis, but we wouldn't have a Anthony Edwards type, you know, De'Aaron Fox is, he's a bucket getter. Like that's what he does. Like he drives to the paint. He's faster than you. He can jump higher than you. He's going to go get a bucket. So we would have lacked that. And same with Mitchell. Davion Mitchell is just a supreme athlete. Uh, I actually saw him in person uh, at the mall a couple months yeah. ago. A couple months no, ago. He is, uh, he is very short. Uh, like, I mean, I'm about like six foot, six one. And he, I was like, I could see right over him. Like he's a little dude, but he could jump, you know, probably right over me. So. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely got hops. Um, but it's always interesting. You mentioned potentially starting Mitchell and Fox together next season. It's always interesting when you have two point guards playing together and Baylor did that with Mitchell and Macy Oteague. Um, and they were successful because they built that chemistry off the court and on the court right now, between Mitchell and Fox, the chemistry off the court seems good because like you mentioned, um, Fox has been praising Mitchell. He, he called him the hardest work outside of Kobe, a top five on, on ball defender earlier this season. Um, but what's the dynamic like between Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox on the court? I mean, I think it works very well. I think the way that it would have to be done um, to get it right is with Halliburton when he was still on the team, it proved that Fox is significantly better when he is the primary ball handler. Because whenever Halliburton would have the ball in his hands a lot, Fox's numbers would drop significantly and he'd go into a slump. So... Davion Mitchell is a better shooter than De'Aaron Fox. Um, he has a great step back three, as you know. Um, if you pay attention to his shot throughout his rookie season, he had kind of a straight shot when he first entered the league, and now he has a massive uh, arc on his shot, like kind of like Steph Curry. Like he knows that, oh, I have to shoot over the bigger defender. Uh, this is the NBA. It's not college anymore. So yeah, That's an interesting a development. Yeah, he's adapted and he's become a great shooter. Um, you know, the more he plays, the better he's going to get at shooting. And he can also facilitate very well. But like I said, we have Sabonis who does that. 
and Fox needs the ball in his hand. So he's going to have to take the role of, you know, I'll take the ball up sometimes, not every time, but I score from the outside. I can score from mid range and then I can get to the bucket when I need to, but he needs, he's going to need to spread the floor, but where he'll help us is obviously it's a very, the league is very talented right now at the point guard position, you know, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, like you name it, there's a, a multitude of players who are just super talented at point guard. And so I think with both Fox and Mitchell starting, when it comes to defense, Mitchell is now going to become the one instead of the two. And he's going to have to guard the Steph Curry's and the Damian Lillard's because Fox is not a bad defender, but he's, it's kind of like a, like James Harden where like you see him do it and you're like, Oh, you could try it harder on defense. Uh, but he knows that he's the bucket getter. So he saves a lot of his energy for, I need to go get that shot first because no one else can. So I think they complement each other pretty well. They, the one provides what the other can't and they seem to be very close. So I think it'll work really well. I do want to point out that Mitchell had just over four assists per game this season and, and Fox had 5.6, which was his lowest since his rookie year. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you're saying that there's no shot. Mitchell becomes the primary ball handler. I don't think so. Uh, that's the whole reason the Kings are part of the reason they didn't draft Doncic. Uh, they didn't want to take the ball out of Fox's hands and they, they you know, they didn't know Luca was going to turn into Luca. You know, a lot of people thought, but they didn't know. Um, and then when Halliburton, started carrying the ball a lot more. Fox's numbers just began to dip drastically. So I don't think they're going to take the ball out of Fox's hands. You know, they gave him a max contract for a reason. Um, but I do think yeah. Avion will – he'll get his. Like, he'll, he'll definitely still make an impact, and he'll be able to facilitate the ball. Is, the, is, there, is there a star in the NBA right now that – you maybe consider a prototype of what Mitchell could turn into or, or what do you currently see as Davion's ceiling? Uh, so he's not a star necessarily anymore, but Drew Holiday. Uh, yes, I like, I like that comparison a lot. You see, like, you know, Drew Holiday, how old are you, by the way? I'm 23. You're 23. Okay. Yeah. We're the same age. So, you know, when Drew Holiday was back on the Sixers with Iguodala when we were younger. Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, he still is to this day. He's a great on-ball defender. Uh, He's bigger than Mitchell, obviously, but Mitchell plays bigger than he is. He's very strong. Uh, I think it's it's kind of surprising how strong he is for other players when they go at him because he's so little. But he's very strong. He's very sturdy, uh, great balance. He can get around any screen in the league. Um, He can give you what Drew Holiday gives you there, and then he can also score. You know, Drew Holiday – you know, as of late, it, I mean, it didn't look good in the playoffs. Uh, when he was trying to shoot the ball, he was kind of streaky. But Drew Holiday has had his moments where he's going to give you buckets, and he's also yes. going to lock down your guard. So yeah. I, th- I think that's that's kind of what – I don't know if that's his ceiling necessarily. Maybe he could become better than Drew Holiday. Um, but I, I'd say that's the prototype that I see from him. I think they have a very similar game. Yeah, now that you say that, they do have a very similar game. Um, obviously, both are great defenders. And actually, way back in October, as I mentioned earlier, De'Aaron Fox said that Mitchell was already a top five on-ball defender in the NBA. Oh, yeah. What do you, what do you make of that? And is, is that reasonable? Uh, 
I'd say it's it's definitely a hot take, uh, especially as early as he said it. But then you look at, I believe it was the Kings' first three games of the year. They played the Warriors, the Trailblazers, and the Jazz all in a row. Um, I don't know if, correct me if I'm wrong in that order, but I believe it was those three teams. So he had to guard Steph Curry. He had to guard Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and he had to guard Donovan Mitchell. And I'm pretty sure he held them to a combined shooting percentage of like 30% from three. Um, he obviously had that great play where Mitchell's driving in on him and he just rips it out of his hands, drives down and throws up a nice lob on the other end of the court. Like he, for a rookie, and that being your first test, you go against, you know, the greatest shooter of all time, two players that are on the NBA all 75 list, and then, you know, Donovan Mitchell's a superstar. It was impressive. Uh, he held his own. He did very well. Um, I think, you know, he'll probably win a couple. He could, he could be like Marcus Smart and get a, a defensive player of the year eventually. Uh, he's probably going to make a few all-defensive teams at some point in his career. Uh, yeah, he's just – he's great at defense. That's, you know, off night. There you go, potential defensive player of the year. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last question. I'm going to flip to the other side of the ball. Okay. Davion's offensive game developed over the course of the season, and he ended up averaging 11.5 points per game. What aspects of his game – of his offensive game improved over the season that allowed him to, to score more and – how much of a jump do you think he can take next year? So as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, the way he shoots the ball from deep, he learned to shoot it, or not even from deep, from mid-range as well, but he learned that he has to shoot it higher and put more arc on it so that he can get over the taller defenders. Um, I feel like people don't really, you know, like casual fans probably don't understand how much taller on average people are in the NBA than in college basketball. You know, like a 6'10", center in college basketball looks like a monster out there but then you know they're undersized in the NBA yeah. um people just uh they don't get it so Davion had to adjust to that immediately when he got to the league and it increased a lot I mean if you look at uh I know you said he averaged 11 points per game but if you look at the final stretch of the year probably like the last 15 games De'Aaron Fox had a hand injury and this our season was essentially over already so he stopped playing and Davion became our starting point guard. And, you know, he was putting up 20 points all the time. He was putting up a bunch of assists. Uh, he was just, it seemed like he was unguardable from time to time. You know, he could shoot mid-range from three. He can drive the ball exceptionally well because of how strong and athletic he is. Um, I think it was just a confidence thing. Once he became the starter, he started to feel more comfortable and, you know, he had already been in the league 60 plus games at that time. So he was feeling pretty adjusted. So I think it's, it's all a time thing, uh, whether or not he starts next year or whether he's our sixth man, I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a nightmare if he, if he prove, improves at all, even if he stays the same, he's great. So if he improves just in the slightest, I think he's going to be a problem on offense. Yeah, he would be a beast in that six-man role, now that I think about it. He'd be fantastic, especially, I mean, you know, if we re-sign re DiVincenzo and he starts, um, or we, you know, make a sneaky move and try and get a star in the offseason, or, I mean, whoever we draft with this fourth pick, if we keep it, uh, things are up in the air uh, on 
the rotations except for you know fox at the one and sabonis at the four or five those are pretty much the only guarantees that i could give you but i think um davion would be great you know whether he's starting or being our sixth man and if he is the sixth man he's going to be like lou williams where he's he's in the ball he's in the game at the end of the game when it really matters so mm-hmm. starting is just formalities yeah, it's going to be great to see how he develops, what he does next season. Thanks so much for coming on. That was, that was great. Uh, we learned a lot about how Davion transitioned to the NBA. We, um, for our listeners, you could find Jordan at, at Jordan underscore white 13 on Twitter. Um, thanks for listening and, and thanks for coming on, Jordan. Thank you. I appreciate it. most all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply